Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry take a stand on Joe Rogan. And the Queen prepares for a date marked by both celebration and sadness. And Kate Middleton takes on two of Prince Harry's old royal jobs. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the show. We are kicking things off today with Harry and Meghan. They have waded into the debate about Joe Rogan, the COVID vaccine, and Spotify. It's a big decision, this, I think, isn't it, Kristen? Because obviously they have their own partnership with Spotify, um, but they have taken a stand against what their spokesperson described as the all-too-real consequences of COVID-19 misinformation. So can you tell us more about what this is actually about? Yes. Joe Rogan, who also has an exclusive Spotify contract like Harry and Meghan, he's had several guests on his show whose views have been condemned by the wider scientific community. One was Robert Malone. And I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds here, but I will say this. Malone voiced various conspiracy theories on the show. He suggested that there are financial incentives to hospitals linking deaths to COVID. He uh, essentially endorsed Invermectin as a cure for COVID. That is the horse deworming medicine. But it's not just Joe Rogan's guests who are spreading this misinformation. It is Joe Rogan himself. He has said the vaccine can alter your genes on his show, which is false. And he also advised young, healthy people to not get the vaccine. I find all of this fascinating. You've got more than 270 doctors and healthcare professionals signing a letter to Spotify in January calling for action. Obviously, then you had Neil Young and Joni Mitchell coming out. They boycotted Spotify. Um, But this isn't just a Neil Young, Joe Rogan, Joni Mitchell story. It's a Harry and Meghan story in its own right, because, of course, Spotify is their partner and they're going to, going forward, be working with Spotify. So what, what do you think this means for them? Well, I think it's interesting because some of the conversations I'm hearing around this now are, oh, that makes sense. Maybe that's why Harry and Meghan have not released anything beyond their one holiday episode of their podcast up until now. Maybe they've been in conversation with Spotify. Maybe that's what the holdup is with all of this. So some folks seem to be sympathetic to Harry and Meghan, but others out there are saying, you know, you can't necessarily try to play it both ways, right? But I personally don't think it's a black and white thing. It's tough. They're already in contract with this company. The vast majority of people who have exclusive contracts with this company are still continuing their partnerships. Very, very few have stepped away. So those who are being critical of Harry and Meghan, I don't know what they want Harry and Meghan to do to just say, we're canceling this contract, or if they want them to be more outspoken, I'm not sure what they want Harry and Meghan to do. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's obviously worth saying that um, Harry and Meghan aren't boycotting Spotify, so they express their concerns, but they're still going to go ahead with the partnership. And personally, I've always been a big fan of the Spotify deal and of the Netflix deal. Um, I think that they should stick with it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be the most kind of substantive, long term thing that they've um, set up in their post royal lives, assuming 
assuming it all goes ahead and it works and it's successful. So I think that they should 100% plow on with this. Um, given Harry's uh, commitments to tackling misinformation through the Aspen Commission, he I think they did have to say something. What I'd really like to see from them is for them to actually bring the, the podcast forward, get it out there and let people start judging them based on the material itself. Um, I think it's fine to to speak up. It's obvious, you know, anybody who's ever heard anything they've, they've ever said over the last couple of years probably already knows what their stance on Joe Rogan is. Um, Harry also <laughs> criticised him uh, quite prominently on a appearance on the Armchair Expert podcast in May. But I think it would be a real tragedy if they'd cancelled, you know, if they'd pulled out the Spotify deal. Um, they would just have been robbing their fans and the world of what is a substantive part of their post-royal careers. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to hear what they're going to say. Are they going to give us a real peek behind the curtain of what their lives are like post-palace? I mean, I think that's what most of us want, right? We want to see more of them, or I should say hear more of them. And I will say something else in their defense for everybody who's saying, oh, it's taking them so long to make this podcast. It's taking them so long. Sometimes it takes a while to make a show, but especially during an international pandemic, I think that adds to things, especially when you're moving houses, especially when you're having a child um, and you already have a toddler at home. So I I accept the fact that it's taking a little bit longer, but if this uh, concern about Spotify's misinformation is also part of the puzzle, that makes sense too. That That does add a little extra layer of, oh yeah, that makes sense why it might be taking longer to do all this stuff. It would be fascinating to know the nature of those conversations. They obviously said through their spokesperson that um, they first expressed their concerns um, about misinformation on Spotify back in April. So that would have been um, end of April 2021. Um, Joe Rogan did a segment in which he suggested that if you're 21 and you're healthy, you need not get the vaccine. Or rather, he wouldn't in that position. Um and so then it was May the following month that Harry went on the Armchair Expert podcast. And he at that point, he was only criticising Joe Rogan publicly. But what we now know is that privately, there had already been conversations with Spotify behind the scenes. So it is a fascinating idea. And I would absolutely love to know what the back and forth was and how, yeah, like you say, how long did those, those conversations go on for? Were they consistent throughout what's, you know, virtually getting on for a year, nine months? Um yeah, if that is the reason, then it does kind of make sense. And maybe one day we'll find out. I don't know. Perhaps they could tell us on their podcast. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. The other thing that I think is going to be really interesting about it is that I'd love to see a kind of less polished version of Harry and Meghan, which I think a week a weekly podcast could really deliver. I'd love to see them really unscripted, just chatting and you know saying stuff off at the top of their heads, ad-libbing, and see where that takes them, whether that takes them down a slightly different avenue. Because obviously, in back in their royal careers, everything is quite stage-managed at those public engagements. They turn up to a place, they kind of know who they're going to meet beforehand, a lot of the conversations are quite surface-level anyway, and then in their post-royal lives, a lot of the stuff they've been doing has been very much discussing like one specific thing each one is months apart but with a weekly show you kind of feel like you're going to get down to the core of the person because everybody performs a little bit don't they when they know that they're doing a kind of one-off thing it is a performance Um, but I think a weekly podcast you're going to get to see more of the real them absolutely yeah and let's not forget it's their job to be performers yes Harry is not technically an actor but 
much of what he's doing is essentially the same kind of work that Megan has always done, giving a speech, standing on a stage, making a presentation and whatnot. So I agree with you. It would be fun to see them loosen up a little bit. And in their one episode of their Christmas special, one of the most uh, delightful parts was when we got to hear baby Archie. He was still essentially a baby back then. And maybe we'll hear a little bit of Lilibet. Maybe we'll hear the two kids giggling together. Uh, I know they want to keep a mostly low profile on the children, and uh, they're, they're trying to not show their faces too much. But, you know, they've already shown that they're okay with having a little bit of a child's voice here or there. So I'd love to hear more of that as well. You've got to think they're going to have a studio in their own home as well, don't you? So I'm sure they won't be having to leave in order to record. So you'd think they could, they might just, you know... Doria could bring the kids in or something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh, wouldn't that be delightful, Doria and the kids? <laughs> yes, that would be great. So where do you think this leaves them with Spotify? I mean, do you think this will have gone down badly, this intervention? Or is this, I mean, I suppose one way you could look at it is that this is potentially the end of the conflict, because Harry and Meghan have obviously publicly stated that in spite of their concerns, they are pushing forwards. Or do you think that there might be, do you think this would have gone down badly at Spotify? What, what do you reckon? I don't think this is going to go down badly. I think Spotify knows that they are very, very fortunate to have the Sussexes in contract with them. The world wants to hear what they have to say. They have hundreds of millions of fans all over the world who are excited about them. So to have them as part of the company, they're a major asset. And I think Spotify wants to make them happy. But also, Megan and Harry, they know that this is beneficial to them too. And they've made clear they're not stepping away right now from the company. They're going to try to work with them and do the best they can. And I think that they really will. You know, I, I don't think they're going to hold back. I, I, I would not be surprised if there is actually one of their episodes when they do start recording their show or releasing it, where they address the importance of COVID information versus misinformation and doing the right thing. And controlling the narrative. So, you know, one thing they've done very well is control the narrative. So when their episodes come out, I think that they will very diplomatically talk about all of this stuff, but not burn any bridges. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I I have to agree that I think it's what matters really to Spotify is that they get the content. And as long as they get the content and they like the content, I think they w- it will all be water under the bridge very quickly. And obviously, uh, Spotify's partner organization, Gimlet Projects, has put out three job adverts for producers. Um, and they are fixed-term, um, six-month contracts. So that probably gives us a bit of an indication once you factor in the time frame for the hiring process when we might start to see something. Um, so hopefully that will be some point in, tw- in 2022. Hold on, should we apply for the job, Jack? (laughs) I think we should. I mean, we could just have them on here. We should do that. Yes, yes. Megan, Harry, it's called a cross promo. Come on to our show. We'll talk about your show. You talk about ours. Yeah. They are (laughs) weekly, though, and we're once every two weeks, so we might have to step up our game. Oh, we'll do whatever we have to. Now, there's one other aspect of this story that I find really interesting, which is that it's another situation where they seem to have inflamed the right wing in America. Now, obviously, we're very accustomed to them um, being criticised by the British media, but this time they've had the likes of Candace Owens um, and other Republicans um, criticising their intervention. So what's your take on that? Well, the listeners can't hear me rolling my eyes right now, but every time Candace Owens' name comes up, my reaction, my gut reaction is exactly the same as when Piers Morgan's name comes up. Like, am I supposed to take this person seriously? Is this an authority? 
No, their main job in life is to ruffle people's feathers and to say things that are outlandish and get retweeted, but not to say anything kind or factual or decent or true. Their job is just to get people really, really upset. They are in the business of getting people angry. And so anything they say, I'm not going to pay much attention to. And, you know, definitely other people will. That's how they became famous. But whatever criticisms Candace Owen and Piers Morgan have of Meghan and Harry. I don't care. (laughs) I would love to know, though, what Harry and Meghan make of it based on their past comments about the British media and what they've said about everything that happened to them in Britain. I would love to know, like, does this cut as deep as some of their wounds from their time within the royal family? Or was that partly contextual based on the fact that they didn't feel in control of their own PR operation? Was it partly due, due to the fact that they were having... Um, there was conflict behind the scenes in the palace at the same time. And I think there was obviously a bit of an intersection between some of the arguments with the media and some of the arguments behind closed doors at the palace. Like, is it is is that whole thing about negativity in the media in Britain? Is it rooted in that context or what, are they taking away deep wounds from people like can I mean, I think they've gotten the wrong end of Sean Hannity in the past. Obviously, Donald Trump made various comments about Meghan. Does that stuff cut as deep? I don't think so, because most people don't take them very seriously. I'm sorry. Although, I mean, I'm not saying people take the British tabloids super seriously either. But having a few people in the U.S. who are already known to just say bad things about everybody all the time versus entire newspapers and media empires doing it in the U.K., I think that's different. A handful of people who are loudmouths here versus an entire industry over there. I don't think it's the same thing. Well, all incredibly interesting, of course, but now I think it's time for us to take a quick break. Yes, it is. But before we do, a reminder, if you could, to rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows, including Spotify. When we're back, we'll dive into the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Hi, everyone. We're back with our second story of the day, and the Queen is celebrating her Platinum Jubilee. That's 70 years on the throne. Yes, indeed. And obviously, this will be a celebration. She is the longest reigning monarch in UK history by many, many years. But of course, Jack, on the flip side of this longevity is the tragedy that caused her to ascend the throne in the first place. And that is the untimely death of her father, King George VI, also on February 6th. Jack, for those who aren't familiar with Jubilees, what is this all going to entail? So basically, it is a year of celebrations, but it does also have two kind of biggest moments within it. So one is what we're about to come up upon, which is the uh, the actual anniversary of George VI's death. So um, that will be a kind of slightly tragic moment for the Queen. She's spending it in, at Sandringham, which is where he died. Um, and so that's going to be probably the slightly less celebratory event. But then in June, um, the first weekend in June, there's going to be four days of you know really big celebrations. They're kind of military parades. There's going to be a big, uh, cons- you know, a kind of celebrity-studded concert at the at the palace, um, and all that kind of stuff. And if Harry and Meghan do make it, that is going to be the point that they would go. You know, they would probably go to Trooping the Colour, which is the Queen's birthday parade. That's going to be on the Thursday, first Thursday in June, and that's you know a point where we might see them on the Buckingham Palace balcony, for example. 
Well, I always love the pageantry, but I got to say my two favorite things are all the tree plantings that are going to happen because you know me, I I love trees. I love any efforts that are being made on behalf of the environment. But I'm also very excited for the platinum pudding competition, which is kind of like the Great British Bake Off in real life. But instead of winning a glass cake stand, the winning prize is having your pudding at the center of the celebrations. And as with the original Bake Off, Mary Berry, that's right, the judge from the original British Bake Off, she is going to be among the judges in the Platinum Pudding Competition. Uh, The only thing I'm worried about, you know, if Mary Berry is a judge, what's going to happen if somebody puts coconut in a dessert? Because the queen loves coconut, but Mary Berry says she doesn't like coconut. Oh, it's drama already. Yes, so much drama. (laughs) I also kind of just feel like this is the plot of like 90% of my son's children's books. Like There always seems to be some kind of cake for the queen getting made somewhere along the way. It's going to be, I think, the idea of it anyway is that it will be the moment that Britain kind of steps out of the trauma of COVID and into the light of celebration. You know, the June is usually one of the hotter months in Britain. Uh, August is always a washout, but June is usually genuinely quite hot, nice weather. Um, and it should be a time when people can actually get out of their houses, forget about COVID, forget about lockdown and go and have some fun. Um, so that would be really interesting. Um, but it's also I'm also just endlessly fascinated about what, you know, what actually happened all those years ago in 1952, because the king obviously was... You know, never meant to be king. It was Edward VIII. He abdicated in order to marry Wallace Simpson. And then that changed the Queen's life forever because she was supposed to just be the equivalent of Princess Beatrice or Princess Eugenie. All of a sudden, after the abdication crisis, she's in line for the throne. Um, Not only that, but then over the course of the war, the pressure and stress of the job took such a huge toll on George VI that his health deteriorated, leading to his death at, I think he was 57. Um, And so then at the age of 26, I believe, she then took on the job that helped to basically kill her father, um, which is an enormous amount of responsibility. Um, And I just wonder how it's going to feel for her so soon after Philip passed away last year um, to be, which because also um, Sandringham is the place where Philip spent much of his retirement. Um, So there must be so much emotion swirling around for her in terms of the, the poignancy of that, you know, that mirroring the moment she lost her father and the moment she lost her husband. Yeah. And especially in this year, it has been such a tough year between COVID, Prince Philip dying, everything that's happened with Meghan and Harry, Andrew under investigation. I mean, there's just so much that has been tough in the last year or two. During this moment of celebration, a lot of those feelings about those tough things aren't going to go away entirely. They're not just going to evaporate. And as you said, the fact is she wouldn't be in this position at all if not for tragedies in the family that already happened. That's true. And I wonder if, you know, if you're the queen, who do you actually talk to? You know, does it, will she talk mm. to her private secretary? Will she? She's obviously very close to her dresser, Angela Kelly. Like, who, who does she talk to about this stuff? It's uh, They say it's lonely at the top and she's been at the top for 70 years. Yeah, I, I imagine it must be so tough. And there's so much etiquette around the queen. Everyone has to keep their distance around her. Everything is pretty much defined by the stiff upper lip. What if you do actually have feelings of internal conflict? What if you just need to cry on someone's shoulder? And whose shoulder is the queen going to cry on? 
There's also the question, of course, of how much she's actually going to be able to commit to some of these events, because obviously she had a health scare last year, um, and she's 95. She's going to turn 96 this year. Obviously, for most people, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't dream of uh, doing anything with anywhere near as hectic a schedule as this. Um, so I think people will really want to see her. Um, if they don't see her at these events, I think people are going to be worried, and that's going to cause a, you know, a kind of big media and public debate about it so i wonder how, whether she feels like she's under pressure um to kind of perform even at the age of 95 96 well if anyone can do it it's her i mean look at her bloodline her mother was out waving on balconies when she was in her hundreds and so if her mother could do it i'm sure the queen can do it too i'm sure you're right Kristen. all right we're gonna take one more quick break but before we do a reminder to follow us on twitter i'm at jack underscore royston and Kristen is at Kristen meinzer we always have royal updates there as well as all my latest stories for newsweek and when we're back we turn to our final topic of the day that's right we'll be talking about patronages Hi, everyone. We're back with our final story of the day. It's about Harry, Meghan, and their former royal patronages. It's now been a year since the Sussex's honorary titles and patronages were returned to the Queen, and now some of them are being redistributed. That's right. Kate Middleton has been unveiled as the new patron of two rugby governing bodies. So that's the Rugby Football Union, and it's the uh, governing body of Rugby League. Um, There's also talk that Camilla may well be taking over at the National Theatre. So, Kristen, why do you think this has taken so long? Well, I already alluded to it, but I'm just going to say it again. It has been a tough year. The Queen has had so much on her plate. Prince Philip dying, as I mentioned. Her son, Prince Andrew, with everything he's been up to, which is putting it mildly. Uh, The entire world being crippled by a global pandemic. It has been a tough time with a lot to juggle. And, you know, the queen was unwell for a little while there. On top of that, the queen, we all know this about her. She likes to be careful about timing, about public image. And my suspicion is that she knew that if she redistributed those patronages immediately, too quickly, critics might take that as a sign that she was desperate to wash her hands of the Sussexes. And I really don't think she wanted to send that message to the world. I think she wanted to be thoughtful about this, give it the time that was needed, and also deal with all those other things on her plate. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think if she'd done it straight away, the risk would have been that, um, especially in the heat of the moment, some people might have kind of direct, especially now that we, I mean, she wouldn't have necessarily known at the time, but now that we know that Oprah came after it, like a lot of that that anger and uh, emotion that followed Oprah might have wound up being directed at the royals who took on those patronages because it might have been felt that they were kind of, you know, taking something from Harry and Meghan. So by giving this almost 12 months for the dust to settle, it can now be a a much more straightforward transition where it becomes more about Kate being given something or Camilla being given something than it is about something being taken away from Harry and Meghan. I just want to dive in a little bit to the world of patronages for people who don't know. There are over 3,000 patronages that the royal family has, a couple going to Kate, one going to Camilla, whatnot. 
that is just a drop in the bucket. They are patrons for so many causes, sometimes just for a very short period of time, sometimes for decades, they're patrons. And as a patron, their main job is essentially to draw attention to these causes, hopefully get people excited about them, maybe, you know, get people to donate more money to these causes. But something the Queen has historically done is tried to link these patronages to the personal interests of whoever the royal is who gets to be the patron. So for example, we already mentioned that Camilla may be taking over the national theater patronage that Meghan used to have, but Meghan was given that national theater patronage because obviously she's an actor. So they try to be very careful about all of this. And uh, Kate Middleton, her family, all very avid rugby fans. And her sister Pippa has even said in interviews, it was like, the defining thing of their weekends was watching rugby. And their dad would be in a foul mood if their team didn't win all weekend. So (laughs) their family really takes rugby seriously. Yeah, so I think Philip had 700. That's a lot. It's a lot of patronages. It's a lot of patronages. And uh, like you say, they get to the point where some of them have been around, some of the patronages have been around for so long that they are kind of probably slightly on the back burner, or on the back shelf. But, um, you know, the Queen, and when she was a bit more active and Philip, when he and he was a working royal, they would still sporadically every now and again do something for each one. Um, but the with the younger royals, like you say, there's there's much more kind of branding going on there. So... Kate has a huge uh, focus on um, early years development in children. Um, Harry's thing was always the military and veterans. Um, William has a big focus on emergency responders. Um, the, kind of all three of, of, of them have focused on mental health. And then it, Megan was kind of only just really getting her feet under the desk. But obviously she had the, she was, you know, shape, she had the theatre one and, and was shaping up with that. Um, but there are, uh, you know, there are other kind of, Left, there's other leftover stuff that doesn't relate to Harry and Meghan. For example, there was a thing about Prince Edward, who um, also has a long-standing commitment to the arts and, and theatre, um, being a little bit upset that he has not as yet um, been given the title Duke of Edinburgh, uh, which I think he uh, anticipated, or so we're led to believe, that would would be passed on to him when his father passed away. So this is the Queen and Prince Philip's youngest son, um, and I just wonder a little bit whether, you know, he's, he's got, a, he actually dropped out of the, of training for the Royal Marines because he wanted to go into the theatre. And I wonder whether we might be seeing some more signs of the slimming down of the monarchy here with this going to Camilla rather than to Edward. I can't help but think we've already seen signs of that a little bit with, you know, the Queen's address about the environment, about who she's thanking in her speeches and so on, it does feel like certain things have been slimmed down. She's not thanking everybody. She's not shouting out everybody at this point. Just those in line to the throne, right? I think what we might be seeing a little bit of here is Charles starting to take a slightly more active role and um, in some of the big decisions being made as time passes and as the Queen inevitably starts to step a little bit further back and Charles starts to step a little bit further forwards. At least that's my, that's, that is what I'm, I'm wondering, Kristen. All right. Well, on that note, Jack, I guess it's time to wrap up this episode of the Royal Report. Yes. And be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest Royal headlines, embark on some Royal deep dives and riff off all things Royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. <laughs>